All right, so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, troubling things in the world right now. And we're not here to settle those issues. Uh, yeah, we could, uh, I could call on all kinds of people that say they have the answers, but uh, you know what? Yeah, none of us, uh, none of us do. So what do we do? We trust God. That's all we can do is look to confidence. I'm sure that there were believers in every century who felt like it can't get any worse. It did, then it got better. <laughs> so uh, the Lord didn't come, thankfully. He didn't come a couple hundred years ago because now we're here. So, yay. But um, the Bible says he's waiting. He's patient, long-suffering, putting up with all of the trouble and the things that are in this earth, not wishing that any would perish. So, God has a plan. Um, we know there are, I, I, I meant to look this up today, a uh, certain number of nations, Jonathan, do you know, that don't even have Bibles, languages? Aren't there, you might know that statistic. There's certain, the Bible hasn't even been translated into their language. So, God's at work. And um, he's raising up people to do those kind of works. But what we're looking at is just like in John's day, the encouragement we can receive. John didn't try to tell them that it was all going to come to pass in the next number of years or whatever. He just reported what he saw in heaven. And so that's what we've really been looking at. So as we've been going through, I know I've had numbers of questions about how this applies to what here, what's going on right now. Sometimes I think it does, sometimes I don't know how it could apply. But I do know one thing, God is going to bring all of this to pass. And we are going to watch it. So we will be participants either on this earth for a short period of time and then in heaven forever with him observing all of those things that we studied. And then we come finally to Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. And this is, this is like the fulfillment of not just what we've desired, but as I taught in my last lesson, this is what God wants. This is what he's been looking for. This is what he's been uh, desirous of. I I put on your paper there, uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3, from the Voice Bible. And there's many times I, I like to read the Voice. The Passion is also good in, at times. But I just like the way that this said this. So if you look on your paper there, Revelation 21, verse 1 through 3, I looked again and could hardly believe my eyes. Everything above me was new. Everything below me was new. Everything around me was new because the heaven and earth that had been had passed away and the sea was gone completely. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride on her wedding day, adorned for her husband and for his eyes only. 
And I heard a great voice coming from the throne, a voice saying, look, the dwelling place of God is with his people. He will live among them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. So we've studied out of that passage uh, last week, especially we talked about this desire of God. Yeah, it's what we've wanted, but it's what God has wanted. This is what his plan has been. I like this quotation from C.S. Lewis also that's there. Lewis said, I find myself, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is, I was made for another world. I love that. <laughs> That's great. I wasn't made for this. That's why nothing here will satisfy. Now, as believers, we know that. Unbelievers just keep looking. And they keep searching. And so, I put some other thoughts down. This new heaven and new earth are not just what we have wanted. It's what God has wanted. They're God's very desire. His people dwelling with him. You say, well, we dwell with God now. Not in the fullness of the way that we will. And I know he's with us now. But it's going to be just unbelievably, unspeakably, as Paul says, better. Paul said, I, I don't even have words. I, I, I don't have words. And John was given to write these things. And I think he probably wrote some things. He said, I got no idea. I'm just writing. <laughs> and as we're going to see a little bit today, but specifically in our next lesson next week, uh, the holy city, the description he has of this holy city, it's like nothing that our minds can conceive. He didn't just dream this up. This is something that's there, and he describes it. And I've seen people try to make models or pictures of what it will look like. They're all grotesque. They never say it. It just looks, actually, they just look stupid. Why? Because our mind cannot process and develop what God shows him. So he just wrote it down. Says, I don't like I get this this well, fifteen hundred feet, fifteen hundred miles up, fifteen hundred wild. I, I, how do you even see something like that? So I Googled on my Google. I said, so what does the earth look like from fifteen hundred miles in space? Because that's how high this is going to be. Fifteen hundred miles. Now, 1,500 miles would cover about the eastern United States. If you made a cube that long, that high goes from Mexico all the way to about the middle of Canada. But the same dimension high. So, you know what the Earth looks like from 1,500 miles up? The space station, International Space Station. Somebody guess how 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 high do you think that is above the Earth? Two hundred and fifty miles. Wow. Wow. Two forty-eight. 
So a building, right? A building. What is that? Uh, 250 to 1500 is how much? How multiply that out someday for me. What is that? Three times? Six times? Six times higher than the space station. So what does the Earth look like? About like that. It's pretty amazing. So this is, uh, this is something our minds just can't grasp. We cannot understand this. So John just wrote it. But this is all what God has desired. Now man has tried since the beginning. Man has tried to somehow make something that could compete with that with God's plan so they must have known something back in the day of the Tower of Babel so we built a tower it says uh, look at your note there it says uh, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens no the Hebrew says is like unto the heavens it's it's like it appears as the heavens it's a substitute now they know that this tower of babel was somewhere in what we know of around iraq iran somewhere in that area and it was high but everybody's tried to say well this tower was so high no it's not that it, its height wasn't the issue it's what the top was made to look like heaven so that as the priests ascended, you would get into this room that was, quote, heaven. But it wasn't heaven. It was painted by men. And so I've been to the, the Mayan temple at Chichen Itza down uh, outside of Cancun. It's pretty cool. Uh, climbing the stairs was one trial. Coming back down was almost, it's like... Can I just wrap myself in a bunch of bubble wrap and roll down the stairs? Because it was not easy coming down. Um, but the top room, as they believe it looked, was painted to be like a heaven. It was a substitute. And you can go to, I just wrote down, all these different religions, the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Incas, the Egyptians, the Janists, the Zoroastrians, uh, that's Middle East, the Tantric Buddhists, the Hindus, they all have some substitute room for heaven. But they're not 1,500 miles high. And they've not been built by God. All of these, all of these are forgeries. They're fake, they're counterfeits. It's what the devil wants. Cain started his own religion and from then on people have come up with their own religions to the place where well let's build we'll build a room we we know we can't reach heaven but we'll build a room so that we say we're going we're going up to heaven and people would stand down at the basin think it was just wonderful and once in a while they would sacrifice a young man a great warrior or sometimes they would sacrifice a virgin and they would draw their blood and then roll their body down the stairs 
saying, hey, it's all been made right for you. It's not been right for anybody. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can uh, make that way. Now, as we finished our lesson last week, there was one verse that we, uh, we left open. So let's go back and read in verse, uh, verse 5. I didn't put all this down there, but uh, chapter 21, verse 5. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. I like that. John, wake up. Write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Now, this is the voice from the throne. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. Verse 8. This is where we... we didn't cover this verse, but it's like, here's all this glorious stuff. There's no heaven, uh, about the new heaven. There's no pain, no mourning, no crying, no tears, uh, no, no death. All those former things have passed away, right? Aren't, that, aren't those all wonderful? Then we, what's verse 8 about? But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Like, why did we have to throw that in here? I mean, everything was going so well. It was all so pretty. Everything is just great. Actually, this same subject would come up about uh, four more times uh, in chapters 21 and 22. This group. So why is this here? Because this is about the ones who rejected the message of grace. The grace that God offered them in the Old Testament was through the sacrifices. And when I taught through Leviticus, I called my, my series Shadows of Grace. Because that's what all the sacrifices, you, don't, you can't make a way, but God has made a way for you. And those sacrifices were the substitute representing what the Son would do. If you believe that God is going to remove your sin through the substitute that he will send, not a goat, not a lamb, not a bull, but through his own son, if you believe that he is going to come to redeem you, then they are saved by grace. So old people in the Old Testament weren't saved by the law. No one was saved by the law. They were saved by grace. And then we come over to the New Testament, and of course, and then the Messiah came and announced himself presented himself to the people. In the Old Testament, they rejected the sacrifice. In the New Testament, they rejected Christ. Because God had made a way. It's the rejecting of God's grace. And so this verse is all about those who have rejected the offered grace of God. Whether they're Old Testament or New Testament. They rejected the grace that God had offered. And so we find this same subject. I'm not going to look at these verses, but Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Uh, I think you're, most of you are pretty much familiar with that. The wrath of God is, is this, and it's been against those who have rejected the truth. They didn't 
it's not that they didn't understand, it's that they were told and they rejected. And so mankind has rejected. So you can go back to Romans 1 and read that passage. And then also those in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, all of the dead. They rejected the way that God has made. Some of them thinking that their works were going to get them in. Some of them thinking, I don't care what God says. I don't believe in him. Well, you will, but not to eternal life. Because Philippians says every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and where else? And under the earth. Even everyone in hell is going to know God was true. He sent his son, and his son made a way for us to be saved, and we chose not to receive it. And they will know that for all eternity oh my so the glory of this new heaven and earth is contrasted in this in this verse by this declaration that these will live forever in a lake of fire now the first word that's found there is interesting because it's the greek word uh, cowardly or for cowardly the greek word is delos delos delia uh, this is one of the most ugly, detestable words in the Greek language. To, to be called a coward was like the lowest thing that you could say to someone. It was the worst curse that you could pronounce upon someone. And what the Greek word means is one that is guilty because he knew, he knew something, but he chose not to do it. He had the ability, he had the power, he had the access, but he chose not to use it. He was a coward. And it's applied in many different passages. In fact, we find it in 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of? No, cowardice. The ugliest word you can think of. Fear is one thing, phobia. So we got all kinds of phobias today. That's the word is used for the fear of the Lord. That's a good thing. But Delia, cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice where we back away, where we say, I could do this, but I won't. I'm not going to use. A coward isn't someone that doesn't have the ability. It's someone who won't engage themselves to help, to do something right. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but power. Love, self-discipline. And the, one of the most evil things about this cowardice is it spread to so much the rest of a person's life. In fact, for someone in your family to be labeled coward brought shame and dishonor upon the entire family for generations that would live on. So this is something that God puts here at the very beginning. It's interesting that it is the very first word. Why? Because those who choose to reject salvation, the grace of God, are cowards. They could do something, but they choose not to. They are not going to use what God has revealed, what they have the ability to do. How hard is it to believe? Not hard at all. In the Old Testament, 
God told them, you know, they were bitten by the fiery serpents. God said, everyone who looks will live. How hard is it to look? All you have to do is look. And many of the people did, but there were people who wouldn't. They wouldn't even look. And so it is that we present the gospel. Many of you have presented gospel to people, and they refuse to acknowledge they won't do it. Cowardice. So these are, these are all people who aren't going to be in heaven. They're going to be in hell forever. But listen to this. I thought about these passages. 1 Timothy 13, or chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Timothy 1, 13. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. We were. See, we were, we were in that category. Had we rejected the grace of God, our place would be in the lake of fire. But as Paul says, I received mercy that God didn't bring judgment upon you, but he offered you salvation so that he could give you his grace. God's mercy, he offered his grace and love. It's not only that. T Titus chapter 3, verse 3. This, this grace that's kept us from the lake of fire. Now, I don't know if, as believers, we will see the lake of fire from the new heaven and new earth, but we're going to know that it's there. I, I, it never describes being able to see it, but the reality is that it's mentioned time and again concerning this chapter of the new heaven and the new earth, outside the gates, outside the wall. And so there is this group, but listen, you were once there. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we ourselves were once, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hatred, hated by others and hating one another. Verse 4, but when, that beautiful phrase, but when, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of generation and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, so that... Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, yeah, God is rejoicing that those who have believed, those who have accepted his grace, are present with him forever, but outside are those who've rejected. It's not that it wasn't offered. It's not that they couldn't, because you came out of that group. You would have been there. But... The mercy of God was found in your life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you can stand there and preach that all day to, to society, and you can preach down to them and condemn them and all those things, but Paul doesn't stop there. What does he say? Verse 11. And, which means don't separate this sentence from the last one. And such were some of you. Were it not for the grace of God, we would have found ourselves in verse 8 of Revelation 21. Those who are in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Would we have found grace? Not by our works, not anything we've done, but because we accepted the grace that was offered. Who are those who are there? Those who rejected the grace. Yeah, I know. They're known by their sin. They're labeled by their sin, but the real issue isn't their sin. It's the rejection of the grace of God. Such were some of us. But we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you got these two groups. Those who are going to be in a glorious position of eternal joy and peace beyond anything our minds right now can even conceive. And those who are going to be suffering in eternal fire. What makes the difference? They believed in the grace of God. They opened their hearts to believe the message of God's grace. All right, so let's back up to chapter 21, verse 2. We skipped over verse 2 when we were just talking about the, the new heaven, the new earth, and God's desire. Let's go back and we come to the holy city. Revelation 21, verse 2. The presentation of the new Jerusalem. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. John is thoroughly impressed, overwhelmed to, to a great degree, with the new heaven and the new earth, uh, things that he's seeing, uh, a reality that is beyond anything that his mind could imagine. But his attention is immediately given to this city. This city, the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now the phrase New Jerusalem is found in the Old Testament. Isaiah 52. Jerusalem is called the holy city. So this is not a title that was not known to the Old Testament believers. That there was Jerusalem that existed, but there was a new Jerusalem to come. Not the one they were going to rebuild when they came back from Babylon. There was still another new Jerusalem. Not the one that Herod rebuilt to be some crowning glory to himself. It's not the Jerusalem that was going to exist during the time of the tribulation 
which is renewed and I, I assume rebuilt by the Antichrist. But the new Jerusalem is going to come. Now what the prophets see is this new Jerusalem and it, as it appears in the millennium, they see it going straight on into this eternal place. We know that there is a distinction, but to them it was one place. So let's look at this. This is a, a promised place for God's people. Isaiah 52, top of your page 3, says, Clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, Jerusalem, the holy city. So God is saying, even in the Old Testament, just like John is describing in the New Testament, he saw the new, the new city adorned like a bride prepared for her husband, right? So he sees that, but the Old Testament saw the same thing. A new Jerusalem clothed in glory and clothed by God. So this is both millennial and new heaven because the Old Testament prophets didn't see the transition between the two. And a lot of what they saw in the millennial kingdom continues in many ways into the new kingdom. So this Old Testament uh, allusion to Revelation 21 and verse 2. Let's look at Isaiah 61. Sorry, Isaiah 62. Look at Isaiah 62, verse 1. Down through verse 5. God says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. Now, we could say that's only the millennium, but yet there's things coming that say it's more than just what's in the millennium. Follow me. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name. Well, that's new heaven and new earth. That the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall be no more termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land shall be called married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married to him. Verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So this is not just millennial language. This is also tying together with the language of the new heaven and the new earth, where they are brought forth as the bride adored, whether it's Old Testament saints or New Testament church. Now I know, in one context we call ourselves the bride, but we've got to enlarge our imagery when we come to Revelation 21. Because the bride here is not just New Testament church, it's also Old Testament saints. And so together they become this new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. 
And so all of this is God bringing forth not only his promises to us today, but his promises to them. Think of being an Old Testament believer. When you didn't get to see the very thing that you were believing for. I mean, I know we talk about our faith. But our faith is in something that has happened. Their faith was in something that had not yet happened. And they believed. And some of them, yeah, they got hung up in the law. And some of them rejected it altogether. But there were many who believed in the promise that God had made. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Blessed are they who believe yet have not seen. And so in the Old Testament, let's don't, don't put down Old Testament saints. They trusted God through fire, through death, through torture, through losing their land. They believed in God. They kept their hope, their faith alive. A lady just the other day asked me uh, in the auditorium, and she said, I felt the Lord told me that I'm like Jeremiah. She said, what does that mean? And so, you know, I, I've known that she's been a member of our church from, gosh, I don't know how, <laughs> however long. I said, as I was thinking, well, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he told people things so that they could change, yet knowing that many of them would not. That what he said was true, but many would not believe, and many would not come. And they would not open their hearts to the truth. And so I was able to talk to her about that, and she said, you know, that's my family. She said, I've talked and talked and talked. I said, just continue, be your Jeremiah. Some of the people did believe. There was a remnant that Jeremiah preached to. They went to Babylon. Actually, Babylon was, in a sense, their escape. It was a preservation. God took them to Babylon to preserve them. The people that stayed in Jerusalem were all massacred. So, said, some are going to believe. And you don't know which ones are and which ones aren't. So you just go on being a Jeremiah. And the words that you speak, let them be the truth. Let them carry the passion of God. And if you weep over people when you tell them, that's okay. Because Jeremiah did too. So there's that, that full belief. And so when we see this bride, this city, it's not just the New Testament bride. It's also the Old Testament bride that God said you're going to be and I'm going to dress you and so we have other passages that bring this same subject up Revelation chapter 3 says the one who conquers I will make a pillar in the temple of my God never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So just like God told the Old Testament believers that he was going to give Jerusalem a new name, yeah, that new name is where? This new heaven and new earth. 
It's so this is the new name that God was going to pronounce. The holy city. The new Jerusalem. The next phrase uh, as we continue down it says that this he saw this coming down out of heaven from God. He saw it coming down out of heaven from God. Now the the Greek phrase is, is that way. Some translations say coming down from God out of heaven. But the out of heaven really comes first. Because what John is expressing is that what he saw wasn't being made. It wasn't being created. It's being presented. It's coming down out of heaven from God. It's been there. It's been sitting in reserve, not in a back room, for this is the glorious temple of God. But it's coming down from heaven. And so this is God's promise that out of heaven would come this glorious city. It's been concealed like a precious gift. How many of your parents hid Christmas gifts? birthday gifts if you were really sneaky remember when I was about sixth grade I found out all the presents were under this bed in this one room that we never used and I did I went in there when my mom was gone I think she was at the doctor's office um, preparing to have my little sister uh, anyway um, I found all the Christmas presents and I unwrapped them. The ones that had my name on. She shouldn't have put a name on them. So that then Christmas Day came. Was the worst Christmas Day I'd ever had in my life. Because there was nothing new. It's like, okay, I like this, but it's not really what I wanted. I like that, but that's never what I wanted. She didn't get me this, and she didn't give me, you know, it was, it was awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah, Jeff did that. But God has this concealed like a precious gift, something that he is going to use. The word that's used for prepare, the Greek word used here, uh, is specifically used uh, for something that's been in existence and now is being brought forth, prepared. And it's, it's found throughout the book of Revelation time and again. And so this that God is presenting, this is nothing that man could make. Like I said, I've been in Chichen Itza, I've been at a couple other of the ruins. Maybe you've been to some of the temples, and you've been to Machu Picchu, up in the Andy Mountains. I have some friends that have gone there. It was my desire when I went to uh, Peru. I was going to go on the trip, but then the Amazon trip started, and I wanted to do that instead of go to Machu Picchu, so I chose that. You can go to temples all over the earth. How many have been to the pyramids in Egypt? Anybody in here? Been to see the pyramids? Pretty pretty incredible, right? You've been there? Treadways have been there? Yeah. And that they're they're significant. But they're not this. Nothing man could make would be like this. And this has been prepared. Remember the statement that Jesus made? 
I go to prepare a place for you. John 14. I go to prepare. He didn't say I'm going to create a place for you. I'm going to make a place for you. I'm going to prepare. Again, using that word, which means to get something ready that has been in existence. And so he went to prepare it. To make a special place in that place for you. So that there will be a place for you there. Um, the little Chinese children. What book is that in? H.A. Baker's. H.A. Baker's. Beyond the Veil. Beyond the Veil. It's visions of, of heaven that these little Chinese orphans had. And uh, maybe some of the rest of you have read this book. It's an old book. And these little children who've had nothing. It, worse poverty, abject poverty, like nothing we could imagine. And they got taken into this orphanage, but then they started having dreams of heaven. And when they were asked to describe heaven, they saw that each one of them had their own little room. And it was all neat, white. Something. The door was was jewels all around. And And their name was written there. They went inside, and they had a bed, and, they had and a table, a table with the Bible open, with the Bible on it. And each one of them had a musical instrument, and that was heaven to them. You know, our mansions are so elaborate. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we think of, I'm going to have a mansion that has everything I don't have here. 76 inch TV. No, I don't stop there. 120 inch TV. You know, and I, you know, and this and that. We so we put all this stuff in our mansion that we don't have here. Because we use the word mansion. The Greek word doesn't mean mansion. It just means place. A place. I go to prepare a place. Yeah, you translate it mansion, and you want to hold on to that? Hold on to that. And I'm not saying it's just going to be a little bed and a musical instrument and a table with a Bible on it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we get focused on what the mansion is instead of where it is. Where it is is in the very presence of God. He went to prepare a place for us in the presence of his Father. Isn't that glorious? So that we can be with him. Nothing like we've seen down here. Then he goes on, top of your page four. It says it was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It doesn't say that it is a bride. It says it's prepared as a bride. The, the emphasis on this is the adorning that is there. The, the presence of this glorious um, reality of this new heaven and new earth. It's prepared as a bride would be prepared for her husband on her wedding day. Look at Isaiah 49, the Old Testament picture of this. The Jerusalem that Isaiah saw. Isaiah 49, verse 18. Everybody there? You're on page 4. 
Isaiah 49, 18. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Her dress. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So there was this Old Testament picture of this new Jerusalem dressed as a bride, prepared as a bride. Then we have, of course, the New Testament, the Lamb's Bride. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So her adorning is all of the righteous deeds that have been accomplished through the bride. But notice it says, made herself ready, but then the phrase, it was granted to her to clothe herself. So many people teach that the bride needs to get ready. We need to get the spots out. We need to get rid of the blemishes. We need to clean ourselves up. Uh, or we're not going to get to go. If the bride is not cleaned up, you know, we're, we're not going to have a place. No, it was granted her to clothe herself. She made herself ready because she put on the garments that were given to her. Who gave them these, these garments? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Speaking of Christ, so that he might present the church to himself. He might present the church to himself. We don't present ourselves to him. He presents us to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And through the washing of the water with the word, he has prepared his bride and presents her to himself. The preparation is not done by us. It's done by him. All we did is accepted his call. We believed. And then Jude 24. Now to him, him, who is able to keep you from stumbling. I mean, you're glad for that one. He is able to keep you from stumbling. The word able is the Greek word which means have sufficient power. God has sufficient power to keep you from stumbling. And what else? To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Who's going to do the presenting? Who's going to do the cleaning up, if you would? Who's going to do the washing? He is, not you. The bride doesn't have to wash herself. He's here to get those spots out. You know, you got spots on your garment. You're not going. You know, your dirty wedding dress, you'll never get in. You know, I know there's people that teach that, but um, no. There's one bride. This isn't about individuals. This is about the church. And he's going to present it to himself without spot or blemish 
or any such thing. He's going to do the preserving. And so we are presented to him. Verse 25 goes on to say, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Why? Because he's the one that's doing it. If you do it, then who gets the glory? If you wash yourself, if you cleanse yourself, if you're doing all the work, you are getting the glory, not him. He's going to do it. All you do is receive what he is doing. Revelation 21 and verse 9 says, Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me. No, he's not going to pour out the plagues. This is just a reference back to, right? So don't get panicked. We're not, we're not going to get more plagues, right? This is just one of those angels, one of the seven, said, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. What we've just described, what was already described in the verses above, this is what he says, this look, look at this. This is God's people. Now, some people say, well, again, the city is called the bride. No, it's called the bride because the bride is in it. The believers. The city is the city. The believers are in it. Just like Rome. Rome was not just the city. Rome was the people. And Rome was the empire. And I think it's significant that in John's day, that was in existence. Because you can't think of anything like that in our world today. Where the city and the people and the empire are all the same. One word, Rome. And so you could identify the people. You were talking about the city. You were talking about the empire. It's all just Rome. And so also here, the bride the holy city. Why? Because the bride is in it. This is God's place and his people dwell there forever. I've read commentaries where people have tried to make the city the bride, but the city is the city and the bride is in it. And so also Old Testament, New Testament believers, they're in the city seeing all this glory that was going to be described in the verses we're going to look at in the next lesson. And so, since city is not a bride or a wife, the truth here is that the city, the residence of the saints of eternity future, this is the place where we will live forever. And God is going to describe it in words that are beyond our ability really to conceive in our mind how this can be because everything we try to do if you try to draw it you try to present it it becomes cartoonish it, you know it, it's just it's it just can't you can't capture the glory of this place in earthly ways you know why because god wants us to look forward to it abraham was doing what looking for the city whose builder and maker was God. Nothing like it on the earth that he could find. The last page, I just put a little table there, kind of an interesting 
thing as I was going through, and I was looking at some of the other references for these um, these descriptions that he's going to find here. I found it interesting that the city of Babylon and the city of the New Jerusalem have some similarities. So look at the Babylon the Great. In Revelation chapter 17 and Revelation chapter 18, when he describes this city, he says, number one, Babylon was adorned with gold. Well, so go across to the right column. So also is the holy city made of pure gold. Verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 18, it was adorned with precious stones. Babylon the Great. Adorned with precious stones. Go across. <laughs> Revelation 21 verse 11 says that the foundation was made of precious stones. The city wall was made of jasper. And the twelve foundations of the wall are all garnished with precious stones. So, precious stones in Babylon, precious stones in the New Jerusalem. Then look at chapter 17, Babylon the Great was adorned with pearls. In Revelation 21, the 12 gates are made of 12 pearls. Okay, that's one big oyster. I just want you to know. I, I don't know how big that oyster was, but these gates are huge. And it's just one pearl. What is this? This is the Antichrist's forgery his counterfeit i'm going to make this beautiful i'm going to make it the city that everybody wants to be in what happened to the great city of babylon it burned and what else does it say about that the saints began a song remember the song this the saints were singing yeah kind of a happy day yeah but <laughs> hallelujah for the great city of Babylon has been fallen, and its smoke goes up forever. Now, I still don't know what kind of tune we're going to put to that, uh, but the saints sang that song. So you want to talk about songs in heaven? There's one for you. So the, the what's that? Oh, yeah, they burned old Dixie down, yeah. Could be that song. Could be that one. I'm not saying Dixie is, yeah, I'm, I'm not relating Dixie. All you, know, you Southerners, now don't get, don't get worked up. I didn't say the South is. Then look at verse 17 on the uh, left-hand side, the Babylon the Great. It says in verse 4, it was a golden cup full of the abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. This city was full of immorality was full of all of manner of abomination, things that can't even begin to describe. But then look on the right-hand side. Chapter 21, verse 27 says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Old Testament, New Testament. And then finally, chapter 18 on the left-hand side, 
Babylon the Great dressed herself in fine linen and purple and scarlet. Yeah, you can put on all the clothes you want. She dressed herself. What does it say on the right-hand side? Chapter 19 and verse 8 says it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen. God gave this. Babylon the Great had to find her own clothes. We receive a garment of righteousness, a robe, a garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness. We receive those from God. This is what God has done on the right-hand side. It's eternal. It's real. We haven't seen it yet, but we will. And this is the promise of God. Think of the people that John is writing to. They're oppressed by Domitian. Their lives are miserable in, in the natural. The empire is against anyone who is a Christian. They may fear being put to death. Maybe their children were put to death in front of their eyes because they wouldn't repent. Or the family fears that the husband will be drug out into the street and beat to death because he wouldn't offer sacrifice. All manner of evil happening. The Roman Empire was one of the most despicable, perverse nations that ever existed. Their culture was beyond disgust. And the Christians lived in the midst of that. But here's the promise. You won't always. This day is coming. I find it significant that Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says in the last days these things will be. And he goes down that list and you think well that's going on today. And I read that in the newspaper yesterday. And here's this. Oh yeah that's happened already. And this and this and this. I mean you go down the list and it's all happening right now. Yeah we're living in a perverse nay. This world is falling apart but God he has a place and all he's doing is preparing everything for us what's the promise I go to prepare a place for us and if I go did he did he go so let's say so when he went <laughs> he will come again to receive us unto himself that where he is we will be not where we are he will be but where he is we will be and that's the promise of God father we thank you for your sovereign grace father you have made a place and we look for your coming we long for your coming but we also look at those who are in this world who still need to find this grace of salvation. Father, thank you. Use our testimonies. Just as, as we were speaking of, we were, we were like that. We have come from that manner of life. But because we received your mercy and your grace, you have a place of eternal grace and beauty and peace prepared for us in your glorious presence. Father, give us words that we might share this hope with others that they too might receive this grace of eternal life. 
And we thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.